Hey, I'm Tommy Chong. Welcome to High on Homegrown. Yes, yes, everybody. And welcome to this week's interview from High on Homegrown, the cannabis podcast from Percy'sGrown.com. This week we've got a real special one. This is a super cool interview with Steve D'Angelo. And Steve is just a legend and has been a legend in the cannabis community for decades. He works with something called the Last Prisoner Project, where he's trying to get all of the people who are in prison for cannabis-related crimes out of prison, especially in places where it's been legalized. And he just does incredible work uh, all over the United States and helps with cases all over the world. He's an incredible guy. And if you don't know who he is, and this is the first introduction of him, then you're gonna really enjoy this interview. We talk about psychedelics, we talk about DMT, mushrooms, acid, and the different types of psychedelics that Steve uses as medicine, his health issues and why he stopped smoking and only consumes cannabis uh, as an edible now, and just loads of cool shit, man. It's a r- real cool interview, and I know you're going to enjoy this one. It would be great if you could share the interview with your friends who don't know who, who we are or don't know who Steve D'Angelo is. It's a real good introductory interview for anybody who hasn't listened to the show before. So if you could share this episode, that would be massively appreciated, as always. But for now, uh, here, here is Steve D'Angelo. You're going to love it. It's a great fucking interview. So we'll see you on the other side. Bye. Sweet, how are you? I'm very well indeed. So we should probably reintroduce ourselves because we had an interview before, but it was such a long time ago. I'm not sure if you remember who we are or not. But uh, I am Mackie from the UK, and we also have Monkey. Monkey, you want to say hi? Hey, Steve. Monkey down here in the Southeast US. All right. Mackie and Monkey, how wonderful to be here with you guys. Uh, you're, that, that was the Southwest or the Southeast, Monkey? Southeast, Gulf, Gulf of Mexico area. All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I understand why you use that rather broad. <laughs> I knew you would, and I also understand you also understand why I use the word southeast, and not nothing more specific than that. Yep. Yep. No, I got it, brother. I spent a long, a lot of time down there in the southeast myself. Keep your head down, and you'll be fine. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's it. So, how's things with you, Steve? When we were getting you on specifically to talk about the Last Prisoner Project. <laughs> Well, things with me are, are, are you know, uh, actually quite wonderful right now because I just came off of five weeks in one of my favorite places in the world, which is the southern Mexico state of Oaxaca, Ooh. where I took a uh, long break to uh, take off my clothes and get under the sun and into the ocean and rejuvenate and reconnect. Nice. So yeah, so I'm 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 lovely, and um, uh, and uh, and I'm actually really looking forward um, to uh, an event of this 420 event that I actually have the opportunity to spend the holiday with released cannabis prisoners in person. Wow. Awesome! Is, is this guy guys that you've helped get out of prison? Exactly. Yeah. So I'm wow. going to be spending 420 with my dear friend. Uh, Richie DeLisi, Richard DeLisi, who before his release uh, last year was the longest serving nonviolent prisoner in the United States of America, having served 30 years on a 90 year cannabis conviction. Wow. wow, for a nonviolent crime. What was he specifically charged with? 
Oh, flying in plane loads of weed from Colombia and other places to Florida. So he was moving weed, but he didn't hurt anybody. So they were going to put, it, put him away for essentially the rest of his life. Yeah, yeah, mm. exactly. And I remember when this happened, right? This is, this is in the late 1980s when Ronald Reagan and George Bush re, uh, re-energized the war on drugs, which had, had sort of taken a little bit of a vacation during the Jimmy Carter presidency. And, um, and they passed these new laws, the mandatory minimum laws that allowed you to, to give people sentences like that. Wow. Right? And, um, and they did it you know, specifically to terrorize the entire cannabis community, to drive us all away from the plant. So I remember 30 years ago, when Richie and his brother were convicted on those charges. And it was, it was the first time, or one of the first few times, there were a number of cases in a quick succession where people had caught sentences like that for cannabis in the United States. And it was terrifying. It had its intended effect. It, was, it, it, it terrified our entire community. So now to be able to spend 420 um, with my friend, Richie, who, has um, uh, uh, has big news to announce soon that I'm not going to announce for him, um, right. but uh, but things just keep on getting better for him since his, his release from awesome. prison. We'd love to get him on the show as well. That would be an awesome interview. That would. Well, we'll make that happen. I'm sure he'd be delighted to. Oh, talk that to that you. would be awesome if you could sort that out for us, Steve. That would be a great interview. Consider Good. it done. Thank you very much. Uh, so he got locked up for thirty years. He got locked up for 30 years. He never hurt anybody. Um, uh, it, to the contrary, right? He, he brought this healing divine mm-hmm. plant mm-hmm. to people at a time when very, very few other people were, were willing to do it. So, you know, in, in the 1980s, things were already getting pretty heavy with, with the war on drugs. They'd been heavy for a little while. And uh, if it hadn't been for people like, like Richie and his brother, who are willing to take the kind of risk that they took, uh, millions and millions of people never would have even seen cannabis. So really they're our heroes. They're the people who carried this plant through the darkness of prohibition. But for for Richie and people like him, most people who smoke weed today might never have had any weed to smoke. Mm -hmm. Did his brother get caught as well? Did he get what? Did his brother get caught and locked up in prison as well? Yeah, well, his he both, but Richie and his brother both got locked up for you know, you know, a long time. His brother wow. got out about six years before before Richie did, um, right. and uh, and then Richie just got out last year. So yeah, um, it, it's great because you know one of the, the interesting things about project is it's just it's just grown at an explosive rate since mm-hmm. we launched it in 2019 we launched with two employees and we now have 16 full-time employees at the last prisoner project and until um this um uh, uh october at the mj biz conference where we had a beautiful moment on stage at the at the house of blues with the blues brothers most of the LPP staffers and most of our constituents who we had helped release had never met each other. So there's just beautiful moment on stage, Blues Brothers benefit for Last Prisoner Project, 
me and, 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 and Richie and a bunch of people up there dancing on stage, this joyous, joyous moment, prisoners, wow. LPP staffers, everybody together. And, you know, it's one of the things about working for prison release is that it, it's hard, man. It's hard to get people out of prison. Um, and, uh, and the moments of joy are, you know, they're rare and they come between long, long stretches of, 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 of grim and despairing work. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, so that moment was just so precious. It was, it was so wonderful. It was yeah. so amazing. One of the best moments of my life. Yeah. Even hearing about that kind of thing, it gives you goosebumps, you know, it's inspirational, man. Life changing for those people who've been locked up so unjustly. It's crazy. So big news, um, um, you know, we're, we're now beginning to think about the rest of the world with, with LPP. Um, and, um, uh, you know, one of the things that, that we want to do is start figuring out exactly where every single cannabis prisoner is on the planet. Wow. Yeah. So we're big in the job. very beginning stages of a, of a global survey um, to, 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 to find that number out and figure out where, where all of our people are. Ooh. So you're looking specifically for people who are just, uh, you know, no violent crime or anything, just specifically locked up because of possession or cultivation of cannabis. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes that's, that's, it's, it's, it's difficult to untangle. So like mm. in many places in the world and many places in the United States, they charge you with a offense. That's like possession of controlled, dangerous substances, class three. Hmm. And there can be a number of different substances that fall in that class and, and, and drilling down and figuring out which ones are actually cannabis offenses can be challenging. And, mm -hmm. and then, you know, frequently, you know, there's, there's these sort of what we call the more like wobbler cases, right? So there's my friend, Michael Thompson, who served 27 years in the state of Michigan on a conviction for selling three pounds of cannabis to an undercover police informant in the in the early 1990s and one of the reasons that he got such a lengthy sentence his sentence was 40 to 60 years and he was wow. in his late 40s i believe when he was sentenced so effectively a a death sentence a life sentence a wow death sentence, man um, was because um, uh, after Michael had been arrested and the cannabis had been seized and you know he was in handcuffs they went and started searching various different properties that he was associated with. And one of them was a home. And in the home, there was a gun safe. And the gun safe had some antique weapons in there that had been passed on to Michael by his father when his father died. Yeah. And, uh, and because those weapons were considered to be under Michael's dominion and control, he received a massive sentencing enhancements, alleging on the idea that somehow those weapons were connected to his cannabis crime, which they absolutely were not connected to in any way, shape, or form. So yes, um, you know we 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 make sure that the that the people that we are helping have not been involved in in you know crimes of moral mm -hmm. turpitude, things that we think are bad and things that we think are wrong. Um, but it's it's pretty rare that that cannabis people do bad things like that. Mm -hmm. But you're just trying to just enjoy some cannabis. That's what most people are trying to do. 
a lot of people selling cannabis so that people are just trying to cover the costs so they can smoke their own without having to pay a ridiculous amount for it. It's crazy that people get persecuted the way that they do. Yeah, and I think that, you know, there's this sort of um, idea that if people have been selling cannabis and they get caught selling cannabis, that somehow they're more deserving of being punished for that than the people who are, quote unquote, just smoking cannabis. Mm -hmm. But let's think about that for a minute. I mean, if it wasn't for the people who were selling cannabis, the people who are smoking cannabis wouldn't be able to smoke cannabis. It, it wouldn't be there. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so if it's OK for people to smoke cannabis and that's not something that we think is bad, that people should be punished for then why should we be punishing people for providing that substance that we think is, is an okay substance for people to use? Um, and uh, you know what I know about my years at the cannabis underground is, yeah, you know, just there, there, there are some people in the cannabis underground who are were really in it purely for the money, um, uh, but that was a minority. Most of the people that I dealt with, dealt with in the cannabis underground over a course of uh, half century are people who had a connection to the plant, who loved the plant, who used it themselves mm -hmm. um, and did make their livelihood that way. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't just about the money. Now, that's in contrast to the legal industry, where you take <laughs> a look at the legal licensed cannabis industry today. Right. And sadly, it, it is dominated mostly by people who don't even consume cannabis shocking isn't it bizarro how can you how can you market something that you don't understand is my mm -hmm. question in that you know but but i well, believe you um, i mean I've, I've been so into dispensaries but people have no clue <laughs> 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 like you know they there's all these cannabis brands now who are trying to market themselves with like this same uh, beautiful 30 something airbrushed healthy couple. They're usually riding a bicycle down the beach at Malibu. The wind is blowing in their hair. Pretty much pictures healthy. of me and my wife. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's what, you know, they sell everything. They sell wristwatches and wine and, and clothing and bicycles and weed that way yeah. and um i don't think it's a very good way to sell weed right i don't think that it's very compelling i don't i don't think that it that it lasts i think you know i think that that people's relationship with cannabis is so much more intimate it's so much deeper it's so much closer and more meaningful than their relationship with almost any other product that they use food cannabis your sex life those are, you know, those are all top three right there. Yeah, people. pretty much. Intimacy. Jeez. Yeah, for sure. I never looked at it that way. I do have a different relationship with cannabis than I do for anything else. We have that special time together. <laughs> we have that special connection. And it's the same for well, exactly, a lot of people. Right. And, yeah. and, and so, you know, cannabis brands that can articulate and evoke that special connection and honor that special connection, mm -hmm. I think ultimately are, are the ones that are going to, to succeed. And I think that the airbrushed couples on the beach in Malibu, you know what happens to them? You know, maybe they've never smoked weed before. They pick up a vape pen, they smoke a vape pen, 
they find out that they kind of like it, but it's, it doesn't quite get them exactly where and pretty they soon go. they're so injecting cannabis, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and then they're, they're shooting cannabis and they're snorting it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so new adopters don't stay new adopters. Right. right. And, mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, soon they would like, you know, their clothes would change. They'd start wearing more funky jewelry. You know, they might have some headbands on, you know? <laughs> Bicycles would probably get like you know a save the earth sticker on on, on it or something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know. So that that couple on on the beach in Malibu changes once they consume cannabis. Mm -hmm. So I, I suppose you're consuming cannabis nowadays, are you, Steve? I do, but I've of had course. to radically change my format of consumption. Um, so I've really been struggling with with some health issues, and one oh, of yeah. them is COPD because I smoked, well, mainly because I smoked tobacco as a very young man, but then mm -hmm. on top of that, I smoked copious amounts of cannabis my entire life. Mm -hmm. And so now if, if, if I smoke, I immediately notice it. Um, the, and it, it totally freaked me out the first time I'm lying in bed and I'm hearing this kind of squeaking noise, right? And I'm like, what, what is that squeaking noise? Is there something going on with the heater or the air conditioner? Is the dog snoring? What's mm -hmm. going on? And I realized that it was me wheezing. Yeah. Long yeah. story short, I eat a lot of cannabis capsules. Um, uh, uh, I like 100 milligram capsules. I start mm -hmm. off with four in the morning. And I go back and, you know, and I, and I, I repeat that dose as many times through the day as I need to generally three or four times. Uh, and that keeps me on a very nice um, uh, balanced uh, cannabinoid uh, spectrum. Every now and then uh, I will inhale a little bit of cannabis, but, but I, my lungs suffer for it when I do. Have you tried uh, using a vaporizer? I have, you know, what I really need is I need a nebulizer. The vaporizers are great, but but vaporizers still have heat attached to them. And that's what's mm -hmm. really bothers my lungs a lot. Mm. So if I had a nebulizer where there was zero heat, where it's just like a fine heatless mist yes. that I could inhale, I think that probably, probably would work for me. Um, and I actually tried a nebulizer in Israel like years ago uh, from this company. And um, and they were they were talking about bringing it to the United States, but it, 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 that was a cannabis stream that hasn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. So you smoked because I've recently gone through some similar things as you. I haven't been discovered to have COPD, but I know that day was coming. <laughs> you know, one day that day will come for all of us. You smoke a lot of tobacco in my joints, so it'll be like a seventy-five percent cannabis, twenty-five, thirty percent for a tobacco. You know, it adds up. And I noticed that I was wheezing a lot when I was breathing. And you never want to hear your lungs doing that, really. Yeah, it's concerning. So then I quit smoking tobacco and cannabis for a while. And now I just vape cannabis with no tobacco at all, which is awesome. Did you find it difficult quitting the tobacco? Was you a long-time uh, tobacco user? No, I didn't. Uh, and But it was because I used LSD. Nice. To to quit tobacco right and so i just okay. took a you know i i realized i was coming to to I'd, I'd been smoking a few years and it always bothered me i'd never been comfortable with it but i just mm. didn't I, I couldn't connect that to i couldn't connect that knowingness to my behavior <clears throat> so finally i was like i treated that problem with about 400 micrograms of lsd one night and uh and really Ooh. sat and thought about it very very seriously 
And, um, and then moving forward after that, I was, I, I just stopped smoking tobacco and, um, and I was, I was good with it. Um, I was, you know, really repelled by the tobacco once I had, you know, like had these very, very intense visions of, of what could be happening in my body with it, which I sort of deliberately meditated on during that, mm. you know, during that psychedelic experience and called that energy in so that I, you know, really, really tasted the, 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 the death. Right. Um, yeah. And, uh, and that made it possible for me. I've had a recent, uh, recently I've had a similar experience um, because I've moved to a plant-based diet and um, okay. for whatever reasons, <laughs> uh, you know, I tried to become a vegetarian years ago and I actually was vegetarian for six or seven years, but, but reverted back to carnism. Um, this is, you know, 20 years ago or something like that. And then recently uh, I um, just, I, I started becoming more educated about the environmental impacts of, uh, of, of animal-based diet and, mm -hmm. you know, how if we want to have any chance of ending global warming on planet earth, that some very significant number of human beings, if not all of us have to switch to a plant-based diet. Yeah. And, and once I knew that, once I understood that, and then, you know, a few mushroom experiences to, to meditate on that and lock that in a little bit and, and, and get my behavior aligned with my, with my understanding and my knowing. And I've had a similar experience where, you know, really I, it's like, you could put a, a, a you know, any kind of formerly living you know, creature in front of me that I used to love to eat. And I really, really don't want to eat it now. You so, said, would you say that was all part of the meditation with the mushrooms and the LSD then the psychedelic experiences have helped you come to these conclusions? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Mm -hmm. But that's, I mean, that's my pathway. Um, mm -hmm. You know, for me, what psychedelics have always done is allow me to get in touch with what my own deepest personal truths are mm -hmm. and then be able to more faithfully live those truths out in my day-to-day -day life. It seems like psychedelics are on the rise now. I'm, I'm even starting to grow some of my own uh, psilocybin, growing some mushrooms for my first time. Uh, I'm growing bee positives, they're called. And it seems like uh, the whole psilocybin thing is taken off and a lot more people are looking to use it to treat depression and, and other issues. Are you finding that as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, for me, they've, they've always been part of a package. Um, I always thought that, that once I got done working to legalize cannabis, I'd be working to legalize mushrooms. Um, only um, before we fully got the cannabis job done, these, you know, a bunch of amazing new generation of activists came along, you know, they're already getting the job done mm -hmm. with mushrooms. Right. And That's right. there is a look, what's happening now is it's an ethical change in human behavior. For most of our existence, we used visionary plants. You can go back 12,000 years and you can find archeological evidence of us using cannabis and other substances, substances similar to ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the reason that we used them was for the purpose that I, I described, right? Yeah. To sort of get perspective on our own actions and, and make sure that we felt good about however it is that we were living our lives. Mm -hmm. But around 2000 years ago in the Western world, um, uh, the Roman Catholic Church was adopted as the official uh, religion of the Roman Empire. And shortly after that happened, 
all visionary plants, the use of all visionary plants was banned. Um, and people who knew them, the wise men and the wise women were burned at the stake. Um, and uh, sacred tree groves were cut down, sacred wells were poisoned. Um, this is the period of time when the great library in Alexandria, Egypt was burned to the ground by a mob of Christian fanatics. God damn. Um, if you go to the Metropolitan Museum in New York, you'll find these amazing, amazing Greek statues from, you know, from classical Greece that are just stunning works of art. But a lot of them are defaced. The arms are chopped off. The faces right. are chiseled out. And, you know, when I was growing up, I, I just thought that was kind of like because they were old and stuff. Mm -hmm. But now I've learned the history and it's not because they're old. It's because, again, during the same period of time, mobs went into temples. And these were temples where people used visionary plants, where they sang, where they danced, where they were surrounded by this kind of statuary. And, and so all of that was destroyed during this really this sort of Holocaust for visionary plants. And we are only now, really, uh, after these almost 2000 years turning back but but we are turning back and and i think that it's a it's really it's an evolutionary imperative if we mm -hmm. don't learn the lessons that that these substances have to teach us now we may not be around much longer to learn any other lessons yeah well said well yeah. said i think the same kind of thing and it's like we just seem to be evolving into that direction of the consciousness of the civilization the people like the zeitgeist is moving in that direction where people like to experiment more with these mind-altering substances. Like ayahuasca is getting a lot of talk and DMT. A lot of people talk about that nowadays as well. People look at for these psychedelic experiences to learn something from them rather than just to trip balls and have a good time for a few hours. Yeah. People are looking for a breakthrough. Mm -hmm. Well, people are finding a breakthrough. Mm -hmm. right? And and so I think that, you you know, you have to credit Michael Pollan and Paul Stamets, the, mm -hmm. uh, the producers of Fantastic Fungi. People have really been working hard. The researchers at places like Johns Hopkins University mm -hmm. who have really been, ex, you know, expanding the public imagination of what's possible with psychedelics and, and the role that they can play in our individual lives and by extension in, in society. And, you know, I've like me being me i'm not by nature a moderate guy so microdosing is not something that i ever did i would like always more of a macro dose guy <laughs> gotcha uh, until now right until like the last year or so and uh and i've been experimenting not experimenting i've been microdosing psilocybin awesome. and i found a definite mental health benefit i mean absolute definite distinct mental health benefit and uh and the same things just reported by by you know i know dozens literally dozens of other people who are on that routine now yeah and, hopefully i'll be joining you very soon <laughs> well the whole world will be you know um uh everybody's here's the great thing right those spores, those they they get just about anywhere, and it's mm -hmm. not difficult to grow. and uh, And the information is at everybody's fingertips now. Mm -hmm. So this, you know, this the 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 for for most of our existence as human beings, knowledge of how to use the visionary substances was controlled by 
basically by priesthoods, by, by shaman, by people who guarded that knowledge fairly closely. Uh, it's only now in this, in this modern era where you really see the democratization of psychedelics, where literally millions and millions of people of their own volition, without having to know a wise man or a wise person or go through a training or get certified, can go online, can order some mushroom spores, can put together a kit, can grow their mushrooms and can dose themselves mm -hmm. completely autonomously and then go on to teach dozens of other people how to that, do that. That is my plan right there, Steve. This is my plan exactly. Because then once I've figured out how to do things, I want to, you know, teach people on Percy's how to do it as well. If they want to learn, if they want to grow their own mushrooms and micro dose, it'd be sweet right. to see more people doing that kind of thing. Well, you know, I think that, that you're ready to hear an idea, and I'm just going to give you the name of this idea, because I think that once I give you the name of the idea, you'll know the definition. <laughs> World Trip Day. Okay. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Okay. Ima right. and imagine, like, after that day, everybody's just, the whole world <laughs> just changes. Exactly. The day the world what changed. Does our world look like after the entire planet trips together? Wow, that's a fucking great idea. Is this something you're going to be organizing or is it just a concept? Well, it's a concept, but see, here's the thing, you know, being ethical psychonauts, we, we want everybody to participate this with informed consent. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think it's something that, that you, you know, that you can just turn on immediately. I think it's something we have to build to. And, and, you know, each year it will get larger and larger. So we already have bicycle day. Um, uh, and I don't know whether we build on that, but, um, yeah, that uh, won't work for me. I'm afraid. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, there's some issues with bicycle day. Mm -hmm. Um, um, but, um, I, you know, I, I think that, that we, that, 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 that is a very powerful idea that we move towards, right? Just articulating mm -hmm. the idea of world trip day, mm -hmm. the idea that there is this, there's this other type of consciousness that we're capable of all attaining to together. And that on the other side of that experience, on the other side of that consciousness lies a future that's so rich and, and so amazing that our current imaginations we know just aren't you know fully capable of grasping what it would be but it would be incredible right mm, it would indeed well uh, are you still microdosing now yeah 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 I mean, i'm not microdosing this minute it's you know something i would do you know once or twice a week mm -hmm. and for me a microdose is pretty small right it's like you know, it's around a tenth to to two tenths of a gram of, of you know, of a, of a regularly regular potency psilocybin mushroom. Do you, you um, don't know which type I've, of mushroom you're using? Cubensis. Yeah, just Cubensis. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, that's the, you know, there's Cubensis is everywhere right now. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's a few other things that I've um, that I've um that I've experienced, but generally in more, you know, macro doses. But uh, so the cubensis is, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's very predictable at the, at those levels. And mm -hmm. it's, um, uh, if, but if I take it up to three tenths of a gram, then I've got psychedelic effect. It's, it's really very, just that much of a difference. You just that small. Wow. Wow. Oh, very wow. mild. Yeah. But you still get a, like a noticeable effect when you just go a tenth of a gram higher. 
just a tenth, just that tenth of the gram goes higher. And, you know, I, I had to actually work myself down to it, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm like, I, I had heard that three tenths was the upper limit of what you could do and still have it be a microdose. But, mm -hmm. you know, I've been taking very large doses of psychedelics since I was 13 years old. <laughs> yes. And so I figured that three tenths of a gram thing didn't really apply to me, that the right microdose for me was probably a half a gram. Hmm. And I had a delightful day that day. I took a half a gram of mushrooms. <laughs> I went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art and hung out with some of those statues I was mentioning. Oh, that would be so cool, man. That sounds like a great day. It was awesome, right? It was just awesome. But it was, you know, it, it was definitely psychedelic. It was mildly psychedelic, hmm. but it was psychedelic. It wasn't, it was not like a sub-perceptible dose. But once I get down to two tenths of a gram or certainly a tenth of a gram, there's, you feel an energizing um, and a, um, um, it's, it's almost like your, your brain is moving just a little bit, a little bit smarter, a little bit more quickly. It goes a little bit further, um, but it does not feel psychedelic at all. Um, mm -hmm. It feels something else. Um, uplifted a little. Mm. Yeah, and, and but but there's also this mood effect that it that it has, where it's um, it's it, there's just this real sense of of balance um, that it's given to me, and also joy. You know, one of the I, I, th I think that that one of the reasons that that people are particularly in the course of the last couple of years turning to psychedelics in, in larger numbers is because. Uh, they they can give you these moments of joy right and and even with the microdose you know part of what i get is just this this very very light suffusion of joy i'm just feeling a little bit more like there's things that i can appreciate a little bit more than i would otherwise mm -hmm. and that helps carry me through the 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 rougher parts and i think that that's that that's an important part of what's going on there's been so much grimness uh, and misery and loss and fear and displacement since COVID hit mm -hmm. uh, that I think that, that, you know, the things that psychedelics do reconnecting us to our souls, reconnecting to us, to each other, um, uh, uh, re sparking a sense of joy uh, and love in our hearts. It's really kind of, you know, exactly what everybody needs right now. Yeah, for sure, man. It's one of the reasons I'm heading in, in that direction because I'll, I'll reduce the amount of smoke of cannabis substantially. I smoke a tenth of what I was smoking a few months ago. And you know, just to have something that can keep me on that kind of level that smoking a lot of cannabis, cannabis did do, but without smoking a lot of cannabis. And I think mushrooms are going to be the right direction for me. I've got the same. I'm growing some cubensis, uh, some um, B positives, they're called. And I'm hoping they do a good job. I haven't, I mean, I've done mushrooms when I was a kid, but I've never microdosed. And that's my intention is to microdose. Maybe go a little bit heavy sometimes just if I want to. But it sounds like a good direction to head in. Uh, it's not like I want to encourage anybody to do it because they have to make these decisions for themselves. But it's something I'd enjoy to see more people doing it as well. Yeah, well, uh, I don't mind encouraging people. Um, uh, <laughs> encourage them for us. Do it. Say you do it. Yeah. Look, um, uh, I think that uh, that that what I have seen is that with with some very rare exceptions, 
almost everybody I know who has had a plant-based psychedelic experience that was well-planned and approached with respect mm -hmm. got a tremendous amount of value out of it. Uh, you know, one of the things that um, that that uh, pieces of research that I learned either in Michael Pollan's book or, or Stamets or Fantastic Fungi or maybe all of them was was that that people who received a dose of psilocybin and these are people who had, had never experienced it before in their lives. There was a survey taking of I don't know some significant number of people and and a large majority of them reported that their psilocybin experience, their one psilocybin experience was either the most significant experience of their life mm. or one of the five most experiences of their lives, like up on a par with having my first baby. Mm -hmm. It can be powerful, man. That's intense. Have you done mushrooms before, Monkey? Like, yeah, no, yeah, I have not played. You haven't had a psychedelic experience at all? Well, I, I've had a psychedelic experience, but I cannot tell you what it was. It was It was at a party being passed around. It was uh, it was eat this and we, you'll have fun. So I have no idea what it was. Right. But I, So I would have to answer the question. No, I have not had a mushroom experience that I know of. And you say you do LSD as well, Steve? Oh, I've probably ingested, you know, not every single psychedelic that there is, but yeah, I mean, psychedelics have been part of my personal spiritual path since I first did LSD at 13 years old. Whoa. And so, you know, I, I've experienced LSD, I've experienced DMT, I've experienced 2CB, experienced peyote. Awesome. Experienced a wide range of substances, but you know, the mother nature was very wise and very kind to us in this regard because she has given us literally hundreds of different plants around the world that mm -hmm. can take us into this psychedelic space and there they all have subtle differences one to the other but basically what what all of them do is they take us out of what michael pollan calls our default mode syndrome that's like the place where our brains spend most of our time. Like, okay, did I lock the door? Where are my keys? What do I need to do next? You know, is dinner going to be on time? All of the kind of executive functioning stuff that we need in order to move through the world in an efficient way. Um, but there's all of this other stuff that we're capable of seeing and thinking about and perceiving. It's just that our baseline brains suppress that function they don't go there normally because you know it, when you're driving down the street you don't want to see visions right you want to mm -hmm. see the cars that are in front of you mm -hmm. um and so mother nature gives us these substances that allow us to break out of that default mode network the default mode network only uses up about two percent of our brain mm -hmm. so when we take psychedelics what happens is all these different parts of our brain that aren't usually talking to each other start chattering away. And, and, and that's why you experience things in a different way, right? That's why you kind of see music, for, for example, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, and, and, and have these incredible visions um, and, and have tactile sensations that are very, very different from what you would normally have because there's just all this, this different parts of your body and, and mind and soul are talking to each other. 
And there's a, a great deal of value in breaking out of that place that we spend most of our time, right? Mm -hmm. Because it allows us to look at ourselves in a fresh way and, yeah. um, and make sure that we're on course, right? That's right. And that's why it's such a good educational tool, if you like. You know, you can learn a lot from yourself when, you, when you're doing these kind of experiences. Especially DMT is apparently a good one for that because you have the whole ego death. I've never tried DMT, but uh, you said you've tried it. Did you have a breakthrough experience? Was it just for geometrics? How did it go for you with DMT? Well, you know, I found DMT to be probably the most challenging psychedelic that I've experienced because of the pace of it. Uh, I smoked it um, mm -hmm. and it comes on very, very quickly. And it takes you into, you know, a, a, a place of, of total vision immediately. Um, and so you, you basically go from your baseline reality into a totally visionary world. I'll give you a sense of it. The first time I, I did DMT, I was in a cornfield uh, with some friends. There was a little fire burning. People were strumming guitar. Um, cool. It was a starry night. I took the hit. Uh, it was a big hit. I laid back, I looked up at the sky and the sky opened up like a door, right? And behind the first sky was a second sky. And in that second sky were these three huge sort of glowing planet-like shapes, but they were made of light and they were like um, geodesic domes. They had that same kind of shape or like window pane acid but they were like some kind of also light creatures that were breathing and, um, and had some sentience and intelligence um, and just the most incredible, incredible colors in, in purples and oranges and pink. Each one was a, a different deep color. And, and I was just in absolute awe of this world. And, you know, it was totally, I mean, it was right in it. And then, boom, I'm back in the cornfield. Oof. Now, that was my best DMT experience, my first DMT experience. Subsequently, I, I approached the substance without a sufficient degree of respect, care, and planning. Mm -hmm. and so the next time I did DMT, I was on a beach. Uh, it was windy. It was dark. Um, I was staying with some people who were not into psychedelics, but I really wanted to do some of this DMT. Mm. I was with my brother and my girlfriend. We didn't have a pipe, so I made a pipe out of a can. Because I had this can pipe and because it was windy, I took this really huge hit. Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, and way bigger than I had any time before. And, and I immediately could feel this thing coming on like, uh, you know, 30 locomotives at the same time. And it freaked me out. And, mm. you know, I, I know from decades of being in the psychedelic space that one of the lessons of psychedelics is that, is that you, you look at your fears, the things that freak you out, the things that scare you. Mm -hmm. You need to put them in front of you and sit with them and understand them. And, and, and then you find a way to move through them or make peace with them. But you don't try to run away from them because that just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. But I was so freaked out on this particular occasion. I could feel the, the DMT coming on so, so fast. Um, uh, and, uh, and I went into this like this fear tunnel, right? 
where it felt like I was inside this very constrained kind of tunnel and I was on a roller coaster or something. And there were all these, you know, bright lights and harsh things all around me. I was probably feeling some of that wind that was out on the windy beach. Mm. And, and I felt these presences that were staring in from the walls of the tunnel. And, and there was one part of me, it was like, dude, just take a breath and take a look at the walls of the tunnel. It's just a tunnel. You're just going fast. It's not a big deal. But there was another part of me. It was like, no, no, don't look at the walls. Don't look at the walls. Just hang on. Just hang on. And so I wrote out this experience, basically like strapped into my safety seat going through a fear tunnel. Yeah. Wow. And, um, uh, and it, it's still valuable, right? It still mm-hmm. taught me some, you know, some real lessons, but it was a, um, it was a hard lesson. Yeah. <laughs> it was a hard lesson. You know, but sometimes that's the way it comes. And if you're going to be a psychonaut, you got to like, you know, you got to have your psychic helmet ready and know that, um, that uh, sometimes you are almost inevitably going to go through some darkness and challenging times. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like uh, it's like what you said there about respecting it and doing it at the right time, being in the right, the right frame of mind understanding especially with dmt but it's a very powerful hallucinogen you know it takes you completely to a different reality you're not just seeing new things you're going into a completely different world you have to have respect for that kind of thing and the power it has and if you don't i think dmt you know for lack of a better way of putting it but dmt would take the piss out of you for it and be like you you think you're stronger than i am you want me to show you how fucked up this can be and then when you go back if you do go back after another go I think you have more respect for it after that. Like, okay, you know, I know you're in control here, DMT. I'll behave myself this time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. It's not the it's not the first time that I've had to learn that lesson. Mm-hmm. I, I've, you know, I, um, um, I've, I've, I've gone into the psychedelic space. I've done it for for so long um, that sometimes I. I get hubris, right? I, 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 I become reckless and every mm. now and then I, you know, I get a, a wake up call and that one was quite a long time ago. I, I don't recall having one quite as, quite as intense since then. So it apparently, apparently had its effect. Mm. Lesson learned. Yeah. Have you done ayahuasca? Have you gone for the full trip? I haven't. Um, uh, so, uh, it's been, you know, I, I've, I've had ayahuasca all around my life and, you know, even kind of less than one degree of separation, mm-hmm. but it's never been a time and a place that I really felt that it was the, that it was the right time, uh, and the right moment or the right person. Mm-hmm. that was bringing me that medicine yeah and yeah. so i know that that time is i think that it's coming closer but it's also um a time that i'm not i don't need to rush um and i want it to be you know i want it to feel right so um it hasn't come yet i know it's coming though but they say that with dmt as well it's like you don't find dmt dmt finds you and it's similar with ayahuasca. It's, you have to, you know, when it's the right time, it will be the right time and it'll be there and you'll be ready. You don't have to wait for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think that that's, that's exactly the process that I'm going through. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that, uh, that, you know, given the path that I walk, that meeting will happen someday. So you're still doing LSD now or are you just sticking to the mushrooms, the microdosing? No, I, f- I find a lot of value in LSD. 
um, uh, yeah, I, um, uh, for me, LSD, well, LSD was the first psychedelic that I did. Mm. And um, there's a quality of clarity to the LSD experience. It, it can sometimes be brutal clarity because LSD, I also find to be maybe the most introspective of psychedelics that really, really, at least for me, takes me inside and, um, and, and lets me do internal work. Hmm. So the, you know, that, that clarity combined with the introspection sometimes means that, that LSD, you know, in a part of the LSD experience is, is seeing some uncomfortable truths about yourself or about the way that you're living or things that you've done or, um, so, uh, LSD has very much played that role for me. Like I mentioned, I, you know, in the, in the tobacco experience, um, mm -hmm. I've, I've kind of used it in, in, in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think again, it's, it's, it is, it's a psychedelic that's very, very potent that needs to be approached with a great deal of respect. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, for, for people who have the discipline and the, you know the psychic balance to be able to go into that space i kind of think of of lsd almost like a you know like a diamond that it just has this exceptional clarity to it and you know different different psychedelics for me have different kinds of um uh of qualities you know mdma mm -hmm. of course is this, this very very empathic mm -hmm. kind of 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 experience a real yeah. Right. Real opening of the heart chakra. And, um, and I appreciate it. I, you know, I, I like, I, I like that, 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 uh, that part of MDMA uh, very, very much, but it also, um, for me, MDMA, maybe because it's an amphetamine based psychedelic also doesn't let me reach the same place of, of, of clarity, um, and in, in, and insightfulness that LSD does. Um, it's, it, it's, it's, I'm sort of, more in the flow i'm more empathic i'm more connected to the people around me and my own feelings less am i you know really turning a light inside myself and and making some like you know doing what i call roto rooter work mm. it's amazing isn't it how there's all these different drugs and they have different kind of uh, medicinal properties and we've been told for so long that they don't have any medicinal property they're just for crazy people to take you know, with LSD and by the psychedelics, especially. Yeah, well, look, um, there's a reason for that. And if you if you look at the theological history of psychedelics, mm -hmm. what you find is that, you know, before the rise of monotheism, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, um, uh, in most parts of the world, people had nature based spiritual systems or, or spiritual systems that were derived out of nature-based spiritual systems. And in almost all of these religions, they used visionary plants as a sacrament. Um, and uh, that was, like I said earlier, it was what human beings did for thousands and thousands of years. Um, and so you go and you read the, you know, the sacred books of, of, of Hindus or Zoroastrians they both talk about these substances that, that give you visions that are divine substances. And you can find similar references um, uh, everywhere. The ancient Greeks, you know, one of the most fascinating books I've read recently 
um, it's called Cannabis in Ancient Greece, um, um, talked about the, the wine that the Greeks drank. And, you know, the Greeks are very famous for these wine festivals and these, you know, dramatic festivals where wine was drunk. Well, that wine in many, many cases was actually a infusion of psychedelic botanicals. And now people have collected the residue from, uh, from old jugs and old jars and found that, you know, for example, they found residue of acacia and Syrian rue, Ooh. which basically is ayahuasca mm -hmm. uh, in the wine jugs of the ancient Greeks. They found cannabis in the wine jugs of the ancient Greeks. So, uh, sorry to interrupt, is ayahuasca from South America? No, no, I mean, right. you can get ayahuasca from, I, you can get the same kind of DMT experience by combining acacia with Syrian rue. Okay. It's essentially the same chemical profile that you end up with. Mother Nature mm -hmm. didn't just give us one way to get to this place. She gave us literally hundreds and hundreds of ways because it's important that we go there. The reason that, 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 that psychedelics are considered only for crazy people is because, the, is because religious authorities in the Western world, the, mm. the, the Christian church, in the Eastern world, it's a little bit murkier history that I haven't fully untangled yet, but certainly here, you know, in, in and about the year 400, the emperor of Rome and the Pope of the Catholic Church signed an edict banning the use of any plant that gives you visions. And, and this reign of terror that I described earlier was unleashed. And that reign of terror has basically gone on uh, ever since then. Um, uh, it, it happened in 1492 in Spain when Ferdinand and Isabella completed their reconquest of Spain and took over territories that had previously been ruled by Moorish rulers where cannabis had been a, day, a legal part of everyday life. One of the first things that, that they did, that the, that the Catholic reconquest did, was ban cannabis, along with wow. burning books and exiling Jews and you know, all the other parts of the Spanish Inquisition. Um, and then um, the Catholic Church in, in Mexico did the same thing in 1770. They realized that the Mexican Indians had taken hemp seeds that Europeans had brought to the Americas and started growing cannabis and using it medicinally and spiritually. And so they started a terror campaign to outlaw cannabis, claiming that it facilitated communion with the devil. Mm. And that laid the roots for, for cannabis prohibition in the United States. Um, so this is, you know, this is a pattern that you see, you know, literally for centuries and centuries. Um, uh, 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 a campaign to stamp out this very, very basic inherent part of human life, the relationship between us and the wisdom plants. That's right, man. And there's a lot of these wisdom plants as well. Cannabis is just one of the many. It's she crazy, is, man. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think of cannabis as Mother Nature's most gentle and forgiving plant teacher. Mm. Um, uh, but she's just one of hundreds. She's just one of hundreds. It's amazing, man. I'm really looking forward to beginning my my psycho journey. Mm. Just waiting for these mushrooms to grow. They take a while. 
there's been a lot of talk about psilocybin being used and NDMA as well being used for veterans for PTSD and things like that. I'm sure you've heard about these things. Yeah, well, I mean, there's you know, there's now some very very solid uh, research uh, backing up the anecdotal reports that we've had for years and years and years and years that you know one of the mental health benefits of psychedelics is helping people recover from trauma. Mm -hmm. And that can be sexual trauma. It can be trauma they uh, uh, experienced in the military. It can be end of life trauma and anxiety. Uh, it can be race-based trauma. Uh, there's a lot of different types of, of trauma that now um, either as part of official studies or just as part of the wider psychedelic renaissance are being are being treated with with psychedelics and it's you know it's it's because of this ability of these substances to to bring us really in touch with the people that we that we most want to be right to to double check our own selves to hold a mirror up to our own actions uh and um and it, that's just so in, incredibly valuable if you look at any any real well-intentioned spiritual system, the whole point of it is to help us become the people that we really want to be. Mm. And that's not easy, right? We're, we're these poor human beings and we have desires and we get petty and we are what we are. And we have ego. We, yeah, have egos and, you know, and we're wounded and, you know, being truly the person that we really, really want to be, it's hard. And these are the tools that Mother Nature has given us mm. to be able to listen to our own hearts. Right. This is why the laws against them <clears throat> are so evil, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What can be more evil than cutting off human beings from the sound of their own hearts, from the conversation with the parts of themselves that they most want to be, mm. right? What could be more tragic than us losing that ability? Yeah, it's sad, man. I mean, you know, most people, because we're a cannabis growing show, we only think about cannabis in this way. You know, we shouldn't be restricted from cannabis and things. And but when you look into it deeper, like we are now, there's so many other drugs out there that we should have. Oh, plants, you know, even drugs, these spiritual plants that we should have access to that we don't. It's just not right, is it? No, no, and it's and it's all because of the same reason, right? I mean, in in the ancient world, they didn't draw a distinction between cannabis or poppy or mushroom or acacia or I mean, I mean, people mm -hmm. understood they were different substances and could be used uh, for different things, mm -hmm. but um, you know, they're they were all accepted as 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 being useful useful plant teachers and. You know, we're just in our infancy of rediscovering um, all of these substances and, and learning our way back to them. And, and, um, and already, you know, we're beginning to see the amazing amount of change that's, that's happening as, as a result of this, of this psychedelic renaissance. And there's mm -hmm. just, you know, there's literally probably millions of people around the world now who have in the last decade used psychedelics for basically for mental health purposes and uh and spiritual regeneration 
and just have these life changing experiences and mm-hmm. and and that the, the pace of that kind of adoption is just going so fast you know i you know i i'll, I'll tell you a, a quick story we'll connect psychedelics and cannabis here right um when i came to the city of oakland in the early 2000s and was trying to persuade the city of oakland to license medical cannabis dispensaries my main opponent on the city council was a guy named ignacio de la fuente and Ignacio's main chief of staff was a guy named Carlos Plazola. Carlos and I tangled and fought and tangled and fought, tangled and fought. Ultimately, of course, we know how it ended up. Our mm-hmm. side won, cannabis became legal. Oakland was the first place to issue medical cannabis licenses anywhere in, in the world in the modern era. I got one of those first six licenses. Ultimately, wow. Ignacio de la Fuente uh, got retired from the city council. He was not reelected. And Carlos went on to open a cannabis dispensary. No way. Um, <laughs> now, Carlos is a very smart guy, very charming guy, very capable guy. Mm-hmm. And somewhere between the time that he um, uh, uh, opened his dispensary, I sort of lost track of him. I started traveling around the world. I'm in Colombia like in 2019 and um uh and i pick up the newspaper and i read that my hometown of oakland has passed a legalized nature initiative the city council put it on the ballot voted unanimously for it whoa unanimously for it and and i'm like how did that happen because this is you know the same city council that it took me and a lot of other activists years of tangling with to get them across the line to issue licenses so like how the hell did this happen i didn't even hear about it nobody asked me for help i didn't have to contribute money i just pick up the newspaper in columbia and read that it's happened well subsequently i found out that that somewhere along the line carlos ran into a mushroom and spoke to him and told him that he had a duty to make sure that mushrooms became legal in Oakland and everywhere else. Whoa. And so he took that mission seriously and he used all the skills that, that he and Ignacio had used to fight against cannabis to fight for mushrooms. No way. Wow. Wow. So mushrooms are basically legal in the city of Oakland and that legislation is set a model for other legislation around the country. That's awesome, um, man. Right? So that's the greatly accelerated pace of the psychedelic renaissance relative to cannabis. I always thought like cannabis, we would get done quickly, but it would take us forever to get psychedelics done. Mm -hmm. How wrong I was. All of that doing on cannabis, unknowing, we were also paving the way for this psychedelic renaissance Mm. at the same time, because This is a very ancient relationship. This is really basic. We have been using these plants in this way for a lot longer than we've been creating governments, for Mm -hmm. a lot longer than we've been creating industrial economies. This is something that goes right deep into our cellular material. It Mm, just- Hundreds of thousands of years. Deeper. Yeah. I love that, what you said there, the uh, legalizing nature bill. That's a way to put it really good. Yeah, it's a great way to put it, man. And that's what it did. 
Um, it was uh, what it did basically is it said if you're uh, that that it instructed the police department of Oakland to make their lowest law enforcement priority enforcing any of the state laws that might exist prohibiting people from using or growing medicinal visionary plants. Mm-hmm. So you can grow any type of plant in the city of, of, of Oakland. It's legal. Nature is legal here. You, wow. you, you, can't be, you can't be prosecuted for growing a plant. It's a, it's a revolutionary idea in most parts of the world today, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't be a revolutionary idea. No, it shouldn't. Right? It's a very basic principle. You know, if Mother Nature gave these plants to each and every one of her children, and nobody has the right to take to take those plants away and say that we can't use them. Mm-hmm. Mother Nature gave them to us. It's, nobody has the right to take them. Damn, that's deep, man. It's all so deep. <laughs> it's so cool that Oakland has uh, legalized that too. Well, Oakland has, and now the city of Denver, Colorado has. And mm-hmm. if you Googled legalized nature, you'd probably find that there's a number of other jurisdictions that have either done it or are on the verge of doing it. Mm. And then in the state of Oregon, uh, a mushroom therapy law has been passed for the entire state of Oregon, along with a measure decriminalizing all substances, including heroin and cocaine. Just you, so you're so uh, far ahead than we are here in the UK. So much further ahead. Yeah. It's um, it's kind of like the Portugal model, right? So mm-hmm. you know, Portugal took this step of of decriminalizing all drugs, and their addiction rate went down. Their overdose rate went down. Uh, there were you know all of these positive benefits that that happened. Now I don't think that Portugal has um, legalized psilocybin therapy yet, but um, but if they do, when they do, because I think every, every place is going to embrace mm-hmm. the, the use of psychedelics, um, uh, uh, they'll see, you know, an, another range of positive benefits that flow out of that. Um, do you think, I mean, why do you think it's been illegal for so long? Do you think, was it just a religion thing? Do you think that the powers that be have some kind of, uh, some motive to keep it illegal? Um, I think that that the basis for it was the kind of very, very deep religious history that I was talking to you about. Mm-hmm. But that religious history already existed at the time of the scientific revolution in the Western world. And so the biases that existed at that time, that anything that gave you visions, um, that anything that took you out of your baseline reality was something that was bad. Mm. was just de facto, without even thinking about it, carried into scientific practice. Mm. Now that science has matured, and, and you know, we've had science and scientists for a few hundred years now, and, and, and the role of religion has been diminishing in our society somewhat, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think part of what we're seeing is that a more mature scientific world is taking a second look at psychedelics and seeing them very differently, right? Seeing them in a more scientific objective way that is not as influenced by the religious prejudices and biases um, that, that were incorporated into the earliest days of the scientific revolution. 
So we're seeing, you know, we're seeing progress there, but you know, painfully slow over yeah. over a period of 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 decades. So, you know, unfortunately, what happened is, like with cannabis, <clears throat> you the the people started out with this um, conviction that psychedelics were bad. <clears throat> And then they looked for science that could justify it. And, and as a result, there was this whole body of pseudoscience that was produced in the 1970s and 1980s, the purpose of which is to, you know, to give a scientific veneer of credibility to these you know, very, very old lies and myths about psychedelics and to terrorize the general population out of out of using them and so that's where you know you got all of these things about people taking dives off of buildings and flashbacks and split chromosomes and all of the you know of the other kind of uh, psychedelic horror stories that were that were trotted out during that period of time split chromosomes yo yeah i remember those ads what's that one Oh. Uh, they claimed that if you took LSD, that it was going to split your chromosomes, and that your you you would your children would be either you would be in, become infertile and you wouldn't be able to have children, or your children wouldn't be able to have children, or if you did have children, that they would be brain damaged or physically in some way. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Not shit you want to think about while you're smashed on acid, is it? You'd be imagining them trichomes, them trichomes, them chromosomes being split and shit. Oh yeah. god! I remember those commercials. Yeah, they, they, it was always the screen was always uh, crazy, squirrely, and kind of dizzy looking, and they made you feel like, you know, oh, this was the worst thing you could ever, ever even think about doing. So do you? Yeah. Would you say LSD is your? I wouldn't say favorite, but preferred psychedelic medicine. No, I would say probably 2CB is my preferred psychedelic. I don't medicine. think I've heard of that one before, 2CB. 2CB is a really interesting substance. It's 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 kind of a it's a it's a it's a analog, it's a analog of mescaline. Um, okay. Uh, and uh it uh it it does two things. It has a empathogenic quality very similar to MDMA. So mm -hmm. there's that kind of heart to heart connection. Um, but it is also an intactogen. So it makes your skin and your body unbelievably sensitive. Ooh. To give you a sense of it, like I know that I'm starting to get off on 2CB because the candle, and I always have candles burning, I can feel a candle on the other side of the room on my skin, the heat mm -hmm. of the candle Whoa. on my skin. Uh, that's 2CB. So you can imagine that, um, and, then, and then if you take enough of it, which I typically do, you see some very, very, very beautiful visual effects. So, you know, package all of that up with somebody that you feel very intimate and close to, mm -hmm. um, and, and you, you know, you, you can have a, you know, really, really, very special kinds of experiences. Now, mm -hmm. I, you know, I also will, you know, I'll mix 2CB with LSD uh, or I'll mix MDMA with LSD uh, to, um, to, to kind of get, to get a, 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 a deeper and more intense experience with that, with that flavor, right? So um, uh, how would I explain? 
uh, describe my relationship with LSD. LSD is this very, you know, it's like this, you know, comfortable robe for me to fit into that I can slip mm. into. But yes. like when I do, I kind of, it's almost like it's this magic electric robe or something that energizes, you know, almost anything else. Mm. Mm. Interesting. It's a nice way to put it. Yeah. So what about mushrooms? Do you grow your own? Are you able to just buy them from a dispensary now in Oakland? You know, I'm, uh, I'm so lucky that um, with both my cannabis and my mushrooms, my psychedelics, almost always they're gifts that are gifted to me by people who appreciate the work that I've done. Yeah, man, you definitely deserve it. it. You definitely deserve all the cannabis and all the psychedelics you can be given. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel so, I mean, so lucky and fortunate because um, there's, you know, people put so much love into, into these creations. And, uh, and so I just feel, I feel really honored to, to, to be at, you know, at a time in my life when, when that, when that happens. So, mm. uh, yeah. Um, you know, lately I, I have been spending a lot of time with, with mushrooms, um, uh, and more time than I have in, in quite a while and I really, you know, come to appreciate them in, you know, a variety of different ways. You know, I, 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 for most of my relationship with mushrooms, I wouldn't think about eating less than two grams um, because I would consider it an underdose. But like I said, in the last years, I've, I've come to you know, find a way to use that medicine uh, mm. in a way that's, that's different from the ways that I've used it before, but is, is also really useful. Yeah, I've heard uh, like 3.5 grams of mushroom is a heroic dose or is it five grams that they call it heroic dose Ooh, five would be big yeah five would be uh, a lot what's the most you've ever I taken i would say five is definitely heroic i would say that three and a half um so are you familiar with the shulgin scale of uh of psychedelic experience plus one plus two plus three plus four no no so you know essentially you know plus one you you feel something um uh plus two uh you uh you are st- you are, you're still basically in your baseline reality but but you're you're you know you are seeing definite effects in that baseline reality right so visuals um, and colors merging and things like that yeah, yeah. um uh, uh plus three you're you're still in that in that baseline reality but kind of just barely right so you're kicked back you're you know you're falling into a piece of art and kind of merging into it and shutting your eyes and you're going on a little journey and there you're waking back up into it right mm-hmm. um so sort of in and out of baseline reality into a completely visionary reality that's plus three plus four you're you're it's kind of like you're in that visionary reality that's like the so, dmt uh, ayahuasca kind of trip yeah or yeah like ayahuasca dmt kind of trip or you know really 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 heavy mushroom or lsd doses can can take you into that same kind of space Mm. so that's that's plus four and um so i i generally like to think of of this of the psychedelic experience along that um gradient as opposed to you know heroic versus normal versus microdose yeah um but I think I think actually microdose is a valid part of the, of the spectrum there. Mm-hmm. Oh. 
Well, interesting. It's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. I because mean, heroic is a uh, I don't know the terminology of that. Is, <laughs> is, I don't think that's right. You know, to say it's heroic just because you haven't taken five grams of mushrooms at some point doesn't mean you're not heroic. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's one of these like words that can mean so many different things for me. When I hear heroic, it's like that sounds intimidating. Mm-hmm. so yeah i wouldn't give somebody a large dose of mushrooms and say here this is a heroic dose right um because mm-hmm. they might go oh gee i don't feel like a hero or oh i've yeah. got to be a hero now or oh yeah. this <laughs> is like oh you've got to be a hero to do this and you know so i would probably frame it in a, in a little bit you know in a, in a little with with a with a different word but i i do like the shulgin scale because i think that it sort of add you know accurately takes you through the different basic steps of the of the psychedelic experience so is are psychedelics also something that you work on with the last prisoner project no no last prisoner projects strictly about cannabis we've been you know talking about psychedelics this whole time i should make clear that you know all (laughs) you know everything that i do with psychedelics is is personal Mm-hmm. It's not involved in any of my organizational work at, at this stage of the game. I, I do talk about psychedelics. I do use psychedelics. I do uh, support the psychedelic renaissance. Uh, but I'm not, a, I'm, you know, I'm, that's, that's, that's not my mission. My, my mm-hmm. mission continues to, to be cannabis and to the degree that I can be supportive and helpful. Yeah. of the psychedelic uh, revolution, the psychedelic renaissance, then I'm, then I'm here to do that. Yeah, you got lots of big fights already on your table, I suppose, trying to get people out of prison. Yeah, let's 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 get that done first. Um, uh, you know, we don't even know how many people there are in prison on cannabis oh, charges worldwide. It's going to be a uh, lot of people. It's a hard project. That's a hard. I I've heard that in the UK it's eight thousand. Okay, that's I less than I expected. That. Less. No, yeah, it's less than I expected. I would have thought there was a lot more people who are in prison specifically just for cannabis charges. Well, I, I, I don't know that that's an, uh, uh, that is a number I've quote unquote heard, right? It's, mm-hmm. I don't know that that's a reliable number. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's something that we, we are, or it's one of the very first things that we need to figure out. But it's a shocking number, even at 8,000, yeah, yeah. because in the United States, right, which is, you know, has some of the, at least is widely considered to have some of the most extreme cannabis prohibition in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a total of around 40,000 prisoners incarcerated mm-hmm. on cannabis charges today. So proportionally, you know, the... I think it's about right. It's about five times more than the population on both sides. The USA Uh has about five times more population than the UK. So I suppose the Mm -hmm. prison population in that way would match up around the same. Uh So you think it's about proportional? Yeah, it seems about right. Because we have uh, around 69 million, actually. This keeps coming up. 69 million (laughs) people in the UK. Mm -hmm. You've got about 350 million in the US. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Is is that five times as much? It's about five times as much, isn't it? And then 8,000 compared to 40,000 is also five times as much. It seems about right. It seems balanced. Yeah. So uh, a shocking number, right? Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. It's uh, way too much. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, in, in the UK, it's, it's a little bit of a diff- different situation um, because here, you know, where we've made the most progress is in states where cannabis has been made legal. Mm. Right. 
because it's very difficult to make a you know a a, a sound argument to continue locking up people on cannabis charges after it's no longer a crime mm -hmm. do you find it difficult then you, because you in states where it's been legalized completely for recreational and for medical use do you still find it difficult when you come to these court cases be like that guy is locked up specifically for or girl is locked up specifically for a cannabis charge don't you think we should let them go and they're like oh no we can't do that well, what usually happens in these situations Oh, well, I mean, it's it's terribly, terribly difficult to get people out. Uh, you know, the the example of Michael Thompson is, is a good one. Michael was the longest serving nonviolent prisoner in the Michigan prison system. He was a state prisoner um, and um, and he had been, uh, as I mentioned earlier, his, his sentence had been enhanced because there were supposedly guns involved in, in his crime. Yeah. Um, and he wasn't even eligible for parole uh, until, you know, several years from 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 now, wow. uh, according to the technical terms of his sentence. And so the only um, the, the 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 when the law was passed in Michigan and, and legalization was passed all around every state so far. Not one state has passed an automatic release provision in their laws. And the reason for that is because law enforcement, the cops, hate automatic release provisions. Mm. And they fight really, really hard against them. And, and, and so um, the laws are passed and you still have people who are incarcerated. So the only way in the United States that, that you can, can get someone out of prison who's been convicted is if you can get a resentencing hearing. And in order to do that, you usually have to show some kind of new evidence that's come to light in, in, in the case or a retrial. Um, yeah. Or, and this is where we've had our most success is, is getting governors, the governors of states to issue clemencies. Mm -hmm. So in the United States, every governor of a state has the ability with a stroke of a pen to release prisoners for whatever reason they want to. They just have that absolute power. And we did finally persuade Governor Whitmer of Michigan, who is a considered to be a progressive Democrat, mm -hmm. to do that for Michael Thompson. But it took a two-year campaign. And, Whoa. and it was a very intense campaign, really you know, like hundreds of thousands of people writing emails, lots of in-person meetings, uh, getting celebrities to support it, uh, showing up at the parole board hearings, just, you know, really like just hammering and hammering and hammering at a high velocity for a couple of years. We made Michael's case one of our top priorities. And you were and doing all this while it was legal in Michigan? This so it's is already been legalized. Legal. And it's it still already wow. been legalized. People have shops open. They are selling weed legally. The state of Michigan is getting tax money from the sale of that weed. And Michael Thompson is sitting in prison at 68, wow. 69 years old. What? Um, so we desperately tried to get him out before he got COVID. That's fucking shocking, man. We didn't. He got COVID because, <sighs> because they wouldn't let him out before he got it. That's um, and so we could have we could have lost Michael, right? We could have lost him, 
And one of the reasons it took so long, and this kind of illustrates some of the challenges of this kind of work, is that Governor Whitner was being considered by Joe Biden when he was still trying to decide who his vice presidential candidate that he was going to run with was wow. going to be. Political and, and so before he selected Kamala Harris, Whitmer, Governor Whitmer was one of the people who was also in the running for it. And that for nine months, Governor Whitmer wouldn't move on the clemency petition because she knew that Joe Biden, even though Joe Biden pretends that he's in favor of cannabis reform, he's mm -hmm. not really in favor of cannabis right. reform. Yeah, so she did that before. <laughs> That's incredible. You, you would assume, especially a man of his age as well, in his late 60s, that as soon as the governor found out, it was like, hold on, that guy's in prison for cannabis for this long? Yeah, let him out. Let him, and you had to still fight for like two years? That's incredible. In the middle of COVID. Wow. I mean, the injustice never ends, does it? But we've heard a lot for the amount of time we've been doing this show. We've been doing this show for, you know, close to two years now. And... I still get shocked sometimes about how fucked up things really can be out there for people to use cannabis. That's incredible. And it's a- uh, We have people in Southern states like Louisiana who are serving life without parole sentences for quantities of like 30 grams of cannabis. Really? That's correct. Yeah. For, for just like over an ounce, you go to prison for the rest of your life. Russell Allen in the state of Mississippi was pulled over with 30 grams and found with 30 grams of cannabis. Mm -hmm. He was sentenced to life without parole. And last year, the Mississippi Court of Appeals affirmed his life without parole sentence. When he you mean affirmed, it means that he's not getting out. That means he dies in prison if we don't get him out. Oh my right. God. For the for, for possession of for an ounce weed, of cannabis, for for victimless possession of weed, that is tragic. That's tragic. And how long has he been locked up for? How long has he been in there now? There for a few years now. And he's he's you know he's not the only one. Um, uh, in Louisiana, uh, we have another prisoner who's 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 uh, case that we're highlighting now. The last prisoner project, uh, Kevin Allen. Uh, not related, uh, and uh, and he's in the state of Louisiana, um, not far from the state of Mississippi, and uh, you know similar similar story. Um, so this is you know this is unfortunately you know part of 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 criminal injustice in the United States is that um, uh, the intersection of cannabis and race is. One of the places where you most clearly see the disparate uh, enforcement, different disparate and um, provision of justice. So, yeah, I mean, Kevin Allen is, is serving life in prison in Louisiana without parole. He was convicted of selling um, twenty dollars worth of cannabis. Yeah, that was the, the, the three strikes and you're out conviction, if I remember, which is stupid. Wow, man. Yeah, they had I, mean, a I knew it was for bad, a while but... that uh, a felon that received a third felony conviction got sent up for life. So you could be picked up on the streets in the South 
have a joint in your pocket with two convict with two felonies and you're going to prison for life for a joint. It was that bad. Yeah. That old yeah. Two for 10 I mean, with John Sinclair. <laughs> yeah. Well, That's yeah, <laughs> I still, li- I live down here. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's still that bad. After hearing yeah. this monkey, you're a madman. You are nope. a madman. <laughs> my cannabis stays home. It never leaves yeah, my yeah. house. Uh-huh. You know, it's victimless crime. I, I consume it here. That's it, man. Damn, and, man. And that's what you do. That's how you keep safe down here. I didn't even know this shit was going on. I didn't know it was this bad. I mean, I feel like, can you send us a list of the amount of people you're working with there, Steve? And we like every week, I want to add a new person to the list just to bring their attention to everybody who is locked up in the USA right now for bullshit like that. Uh, we'll put their names yeah, on. Start, um, start following the Last Prisoner Project uh, account on Instagram, and you know we we always have a, a, at least one prisoner whose case uh, we're highlighting. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, Last Prisoner Project, um, and um, uh, yeah, no, look. Uh, unfortunately, there's you know there's there's there are literally thousands and thousands of these stories. They exist uh, almost everywhere in the world today. Uh, and, uh, and we are just beginning this massive, massive task of making sure that, that everybody gets out. And unfortunately, you know, one of, the, one of the groups that usually gets behind, left behind at the bargaining table when people are putting together legalization laws are the people who are still in prison yeah. because until recently there hasn't been anybody to speak for them. And True. that's, that's why we created the last prisoner project because we, we, we think that, that it's a, it's a responsibility for people like me who have you know, seen opportunity and made money in the legal cannabis industry. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you can't keep on doing that and not help people who are sitting in prison for doing exactly the same thing that you're doing to feed your family every day. And, and mm. if you're lucky to build some wealth. So fortunately the, you know, the organization is being very well supported now by cannabis consumers and by the cannabis industry in the United States. And we hope to expand that work now to Europe. I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a European speaking tour to, to come and, and connect with folks in Europe who are interested in expanding this work. And, uh, and then I'm hoping to take a, a trip to Asia a little bit, a little bit later in the, in the year. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, we grow um, what started as this uh, one nonprofit organization here in the United States into a global NGO that takes on this, this, you know, massive global problem where there's, you know, who knows, are there hundreds of thousands of our sisters and brothers who right now, right now, as we're sitting here talking, are in cages, Ugh. or maybe there's millions. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Nobody knows. God but we're going to find out. We're going to get them out. How many people have spent their, the rest of their lives and you know, died in prison for possession of cannabis? Man? Of a plant. There's some, there's some hard things that we have to look at. You, you're an amazing person for doing what you, you do, Steve, or, and what you have done in the past. You've done so much for the cannabis community already, and now you're going to continue to push forward and, and try and get all these people out of prison as well. It's fucking amazing what you do, man. It's inspirational, you know? Well, thank you. You know, thank you for the appreciation. I feel, 
I feel like, you know, kind of like the luckiest guy in the world, right? I mean, mm. what what better mission could you have as a human being than to represent a beautiful flower that heals people and brings peace and joy and leads us to be the people that we most want to be? Uh, I can't think of any other way. I, I, I would rather have spent this life. And, um, and so I, I appreciate the appreciation and um, and I just feel very fortunate to have been able to to done the work that I've done and to continue doing it. Very good, man. Mm. We appreciate what you've done for us and what you're continuing to do for the last prisoners out there. I'm sure that, that uh, there's a few more that we will get out before this is done. Yeah, man. Oh, oh have- let's be clear. We're going to get every single cannabis prisoner on this planet out. Wow, that's uh, dedication. The says there's like 270 million weed smokers in the world. Yeah. We know that that's not right. Mm, we know it's more it's than that. A billion. <laughs> a billion. There's a billion of us. We are larger than all but the very largest of nations. And maybe we're larger than them. Mm. Right. Together, mm-hmm. collectively. Right? And, and we cross every boundary that usually divides people. We, you know, we are, we are from every race, every religion, every nationality, every economic class, all the things that usually divide people don't divide us. And we have a common value system that Mm -hmm. treasures mother earth, that values individual freedom, that wants to curb authoritarianism and violence, that believes in kindness and gentleness, and that holds out the way for a sustainable industry in, in the world. You know, what, what an amazing uh, mission we've all, we've all been graced with. And we've all been graced with it, but you seem to be leading the charge here. You're doing amazing things, man. Inspiration. It's, it's so cool. Well, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for uh, amplifying the message. Now, how can we help more? How can we do more to be involved with this? How can we get our listeners involved? You know, because it's a community thing. It shouldn't ever be left to just one guy or one organization. What can we do to help you guys do more? Well, uh, the, go to lastprisonerproject.org and uh, and join our mailing list. That's the first step. Uh, mm. It's very simple. The you know as soon as you land on the landing page, they'll ask you for your email. Drop it in there, and then we're connected, and we can keep the conversation going, and we can keep on talking, um, and you can learn everything that you need to learn about plugging in. Uh, you can keep up with me uh, on at Steve at uh, on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And just Steve got that put up in the chat there. Nice. Mm-hmm. But, sorry, then, the, um, sorry, Steve. I keep interrupting. <laughs> it's a at Steve. Uh, yeah, it's all going up in the chat now. So anybody who is listening in the chat there, there's, there's the links. We have uh, the Instagram.com slash Steve.D'Angelo and the lastprisonerproject.org is in the chat. Nice. Yeah. You have lots so, of videos on YouTube too. Yeah, go to my YouTube channel. Um, uh, there's plenty of stuff up there. I've been, you know, I've been talking about this and putting out information for a long time. Getting ready to do a really exciting um, uh, presentation at South by Southwest on the 16th of March. Uh, that uh, that talks about a a movement that I see happening that's like so new that it doesn't really have a name yet, and it it comes out of this uh, this experience I've had of being a cannabis guy and a psychedelic guy and now adopting a plant-based diet 
but also being an advocate for a hemp-based industry and, you know, mm. making, you know, houses out of hempcrete and uh, 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 tofu out of hemp. And, uh, and, and it's, you know, sort of looking at, at all of these different trends that are going on where we're moving towards plant-based medicine, plant-based consciousness and spirituality, plant-based uh, industry, um, plant-based diet, plant-based fashion and clothing. Um, we're really, all these different trends are, are moving us in the same direction, right? Mm. Towards this plant-based world, yeah. which is a big change uh, from this mineral petroleum extraction animal kind of a based world that we've been in for a long time. Uh, so uh, so it's, it's this incredibly exciting time for us all to be alive and don't have any doubt, all of the cannabis prisoners are coming home. Uh, we are going to find our way to a new consciousness and a new way of being and a new way of providing for ourselves on this planet. Um, and one day, not too long in the future, we're gonna look back at this period of time when humans divorce themselves from the visionary plants uh, as this bizarre aberration in, in human history. And, and we'll learn the lessons uh, that, that we need to from it. And we'll keep on moving ahead stronger as a species on a stronger and healthier planet. I know that that's gonna happen. The mushrooms have whispered in my ear. Excellent. Man. So lucky to have that, that spiritual awakening with the mushrooms and the psychedelics as well. It's just, it's like you've lived the whole experience, man. You've come full circle. You've seen the bigger picture, you know, and it feels like I'm missing out on so much of it. But speaking to you today, to speaking to you today, it's like try to make me realize that and know that I mean I'm heading in the right direction, at least. Yes, brother. Okay. Well, look, uh, you know, you, you you know, send me a nice text or something when you get there. I'll send you a virtual hug back and sometime. <laughs> nice. We'll, you know, get a chance to by the fire. Yeah, man, that'd be sweet. <clears throat> all right guys yeah are you, are you are you going to go now you're very busy i suppose and you, you're going to leave but that was an amazing yeah. conversation we really appreciate time steve we appreciate everything you've done and the things that you continue to do as well and if there's any way we can ever help or be involved in any way just let us know we'll be more than happy to be involved thanks mackie Back, thanks monkey you guys Thank be you. well be careful down there in the, in, in the greater southeast <laughs> yes uh, i certainly will uh, I look forward to seeing you guys sometime uh, out of yes. the barricades or, or by the campfire. Mm. Sounds good, man. Looking forward to it. Be well. Yes, man. Right. Take care, Take Steve. Care. Have a great day. There he is. Steve. Man, what a legend. Fucking hell. There was a how-to guide on, on psychedelics for you, Mackie. I'm just like loads of shit. Loads of shit. <laughs> it, it just, you know, he seems so well-rounded. And he's got he's, he's just got everything lined up. He knows exactly what's going on, man. He just, I don't know. The guy, he just seems real, real fucking smart, well-grounded, smart guy. Mm -hmm. He lives in a place where nature is legal. You know that whole legalized nature thing? like that. And there we go. That was the interview with Steve. As always, it's epic to speak to Steve D'Angelo, and he reminds me, as host of the show, just how lucky we are to be able to sit down and have conversations with people like this. This guy has been a legend for a long time in the cannabis community, and I really appreciate the amount of time that these people take to just come and talk to us, because we're just some guys who run a podcast, you know, we're nobody special. 
but these guys are actual legends man actually highly respected members of the cannabis community for good reason and i really appreciate that they take their time to come and talk to us about all of this crazy stuff that we talk about you know we go off on many tangents but it's always a good conversation so if you don't follow steve on his social networks or his youtube channel or you don't know about the last prisoner project then go and check out all of his work it's all good shit and he deserves and appreciates any support that we can give him so get over there support steve d'angelo the man is a legend but thank you to steve for joining us and for everything you have done for the cannabis community over the last 30 40 years it, it is massively appreciated man and thank you to you guys for listening to the show and downloading it in the first place well, we massively appreciate that too so share make sure people know about this episode and we'll see you on friday for the next one and it will be a special interview on friday as well so stay tuned for that we'll see you there but for now have a good week goodbye